0: Hey, Pioneers, welcome to episode 305 of the Pioneering Today podcast. On today's episode, this is a really fun one. We are talking about how to grow food year round and how the addition of using covers is gonna help you to do that. Now, you typically, people think of when we talk about growing undercover, a lot of times people are thinking just about cold weather or cold climates and using things like a high tunnel or a hoop hoop house, those types of things, extending the growing season into the fall or maybe warming up the earth in the springtime. And we definitely are going to be talking about in this episode, using those methods, how to incorporate them. But something that is not covered nearly as much is how you can also use covers to your benefit in the heat of summer. That is definitely going to apply to those of you who are gardening in warmer climates. I know inside the Pioneering Today Academy, especially, and also my gardening course, I have got gardeners from all over, both the U.S., which is gonna include multiple climates, right, as well as international, Canada, Switzerland, even South Africa, which is pretty amazing. But using covers in hot months gives a lot of people the ability to grow crops that they normally couldn't. So even though most of the time in our mind, we think of using this with cold weather stuff, it's actually something that you can be putting in this summer, even in a more Northern climate, like myself, you would be able to extend the growing season during the summer months of things that like to bolt quickly or don't produce well once they get too hot. So that allows you to actually grow year round in a lot of instances even the cooler crops that typically we just can't get to grow during the summer months. So you're really, really going to love this episode. And our guest is Nikki Javor. Nikki is the author of Year-Round Gardening, Growing Undercover, as well as Nikki Javor's Veggie Garden Remix. And she's from SavvyGardening.com. You may be familiar with that gardening website. And Nikki is just a joy. I love watching her Instagram because she posts, she's lives in a Northern climate as well. And they actually get more snow than I do here. But in the winter time, it is so fun to see her pictures because you see her holding up these huge armfuls of fresh vegetables. And she's literally standing in feet of snow. I almost wanted to say a foots of snow and that's absolutely grammatically incorrect. <laughs> She's standing in literally feet of snow with a lot of accumulation, and she is able to grow in that very northern climate, vegetables year round. So there's so much to be gleaned from this episode, and Nikki gave us so many good resources, you guys, on equipment, um, just different things like that. You're definitely going to want to check out the episode for today that accompanies this episode, excuse me, the blog post From today's episode. So you'll go to melissaknorris.com forward slash 305. melissaknorris.com forward slash 305, because this is episode 305. So just the numbers, because we're going to have links to some of the different clips and some of the different equipment to create some of these different row covers. Uh, Just great. uh, She sent over photos. So many great things you're going to want to go and check out and grab from the blog post that goes with today's episode. But Without any further ado, let's dive into today's interview. Guys, I am very excited for today's guest. I confess I'm a little bit of a fangirl and I am so thrilled to be able to pick her brain. You guys get the benefit of listening in and I know it's going to benefit a lot of listeners. But this one, I'm like, oh, this one is all for me. <laughs> so without further ado, Nikki, welcome to the Pioneering Today podcast. Well, Melissa, you know, I was going to say the same thing
1: about you. I'm such a huge fan of the podcast. I listen all the time when I'm gardening. So it's a great pleasure. Thank you for having me.
0: Oh, well, look at my head swelling. Hopefully my little <laughs> headphones that I'm recording in will stay on. Well, thanks. That that actually just completely made my day. So, oh. yay. I think the wonderful thing about gardeners, I feel this about homesteading in general, but I really feel that most gardeners are so eager for anybody else who wants to talk about gardening and wants (laughs) to swap ideas and tips that it's kind of dangerous when you get like hardcore gardeners together because we could talk for like probably days and (laughs) wanting to share all the things. So we'll try to keep this in, in in a, you know a digestible Six, eight hours? episode, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think well, we're enablers, you know, you'll enable me and I'll enable you and then we'll go spend a bunch of
0: money. How's that sound? <laughs> hey, but, hey, that sounds great. You know, and, and it's kind of like one of those things, like, is it really spending money when it's on gardening things that provide you with food? Eh, no. I think you can argue <laughs> both sides of that coin. <laughs> That's awesome. <I> totally agree. <laughs> Yay. So for those of you who aren't as familiar with you which i'm sure is probably going to be very few people in the gardening world but for those who don't know about you can you let people know um today one of the things we're going to be talking about i suppose i'm not letting you tell them but i will preface <laughs> this is we're going to be talking about growing year round in colder cooler climates and nikki tell people where you're from and you're able to grow even in a fairly extreme climate you're able to grow all 12 months of the year? Yeah, I mean, there's never a day I can't
1: harvest from my garden. So I'm on the east coast of Canada in Halifax, Nova Scotia, which is zone 5, 5B maybe. (laughs) It's getting ever so slightly warmer year to year, of course. Um, But yeah, so I get a lot of snow. uh, I get a lot of rain. I get a lot of freezing weather and frost. It's a short season climate. Um, And I get a lot of storms like hurricanes and nor'easters. But nevertheless, there's always a wide variety of vegetables I'm harvesting for my garden any day of the year, including even January and February, probably about 30 types of veggies up there in my cold frames, my mini hoop tunnels, my poly tunnel. I don't use any heated structures. Uh, I just rely on solar energy. Um, But even so, I can still harvest many, many awesome vegetables year round.
0: Okay. And that makes me very happy because I do have a high tunnel, but I don't have any heated. I don't have like a heated greenhouse and I don't provide heat to anything in the garden. So I love hearing that because I think a lot of times people assume, and I did too for a number of years until I just started to say like, let's just test the envelope. Like I'm going to see what I can get away with. Um, I just assumed that you had to have some type of heat in order to grow vegetables in the middle of winter. If you live in a climate that has snow and freezing temps, you know, and, and, and is more Northern because we do have less sunlight. Um, and here in the Pacific Northwest, I feel like we don't have any sunlight in the wintertime, but we do have daylight. So I'll be fair. Um, (laughs) so
1: I like to keep it simple though. Like, you know, when I talk to people, I mean, I could put a bigger system in I could get fancier, but I want to keep it simple for the DIYers like me. I'm not super handy. You know what I mean? I just want to not use any electricity. I don't have to use, you know, I want to not use energy. I don't need to use. And like you said, there's there's still plenty we can grow, even in the cold season. Um, and it's more about light than heat anyway. Uh, and it's pairing the right vegetables at the right time. Like, I'm not trying to grow tomatoes in January in my high tunnel. Um, you know, I'm growing, you know, arugula and kale and carrots and beets and scallions, things that don't mind the cold temperatures.
0: Okay. So... When you are growing in cold frames and year round, now I know at the time that we're recording this, it's actually just, we're not even quite into summer yet, but if someone is brand new to this, what is the type of prep work or kind of the bare minimum? Like what are the things that they need to, that you would consider like the absolute essentials and how do they go about kind of planning Their summer, because I'm assuming from my own experience, but I'm also eager for you to tell me, like, oh no, there's ways around this, my friend, um, that I have to start a lot of my cold frame or fall growing, winter growing crops actually at the end of summer so that they're at a decent size by the time those frosts and really like November and December, which is our darkest time period or shortest daylight hours hit. Otherwise, they're just kind of like in this hibernation stage. And I feel like they don't really grow again so if they're not at harvest if they're at harvestable size they can harvest off of them especially kale but if they're super small i feel like mm. in october and not really large enough to bother harvesting i feel like they'll they stay alive but they're in like hibernation zone until about february and then they'll start to grow again now do you experience that or am i maybe doing something (laughs) wrong.
1: (laughs) No. So, I mean, there's so many ways to extend your season, right? And and for me, if I'm planning for late fall, winter harvesting, a lot of that planting is done anywhere from, depending on the crop, early August through late September. But what you're talking about, I would call overwintering. So, I plant vegetables that I can eat throughout winter. So, like, for example, the carrots we eat in winter are planted usually last week in July, first week in August. Um, because you still want them to come to basically an almost mature size by the time you know the weather has really turned cold and then I'll deep mulch them and harvest them all winter same with like parsnips and and beets Um, but also in like September October I will often have empty beds and I will just fill those with things like spinach and kale and mizunas and endive and different like seeds for crops like those they'll germinate and grow a little bit and then I cover it with a mini tunnel and forget about it and then come you know March when our day length is Getting longer, and we have more than ten hours of light every day. Those little plants come out of dormancy; they wake up, and they just push on so much fresh growth. So that kind of is a great way to enjoy greens and other types of vegetables in those shoulder seasons. So you know, during winter, we're harvesting all the things I planted in August and early September. And then you know, once winter comes to an end in in early March, I'm harvesting the things that overwintered that we didn't eat during the winter because they were too small. They started growing when we had more light in in early spring. And then we'll eat those in March and April until the crops, you know, that you can actually get out and plant in the garden in spring start to come along. So that's a kind of way to bridge that gap between winter um, and late spring. It's those overwintered vegetables. And there's a whole bunch you can seed for overwintering and then just cover them at the mini tunnel, grow them in a cold frame, grow them in a, in a high tunnel or polytunnel. So there's so many different ways you can extend your season using simple structures
0: and a lot of these cool and cold season vegetables. Okay. So that's very, very similar to what I've been experiencing. So that one makes me feel better. Cause I'm like, did you, did you break like some magic code that I don't know about? And I, I know wish. there's only like, like so much we can push in the garden, right? But there's quite a bit. So, okay. That, that confirms that, that I'm kind of been on that right path then with my planting times and, and my experiences very similar. So for those who are wanting to get into this and are, you know, maybe like, my husband is a wonderful carpenter. So if I can wrangle him away from other projects and be like, hey, can you build me this structure? Like nice. he's pretty handy. But I know there's a lot of gardeners who either don't have a handy husband or they're not handy themselves. And so what are some of the, the most basic, simple, but effective mm-hmm. types of cold frames um, and using this method that you found work really well and are really easy for people to put together when they're kind of just getting into this? Yeah, that's a great question. And I mean, you know, cold frames, I always think of them as,
1: as year-round food factories because they're just so insulating, they capture a lot of solar energy and they're just such a great way to extend your season, especially if you're just kind of getting into it. I mean, you can use row covers and mini hoop tunnels and lots of different types of things, but you know, cold cold frames are just a classic uh, season extending structure. So you can, if, if you don't have any handy skills at all, um, you know, and my hand is half raised, I, I'm I'm like maybe 10% handy. but if you have no skills at all, you can use uh, like straw bales and make a straw bale cold frame. You can surround the bed or the crops, you know, towards the end of the season. If you already have kale or leeks or different things in your garden, you want to keep enjoying into winter. You could make a straw bale cold frame by surrounding them with the straw bales and topping that with old windows, old doors, a piece of hard polycarbonate, something like that to still allow that light to get into that structure. Um, You can also, of course, make them from lumber. Most of my cold frames, either myself or my husband has made from untreated local hemlock, which is very uh, rot resistant. Uh, two inch thick boards are very insulating as well. And then I use just clear polycarbonate for a top. You can use windows, of course, for tops of cold frames, but I have found they obviously break easily. Glass. <laughs> there's been times I've gone up to my garden in winter and there's like a deer standing on top of my cold frame. I think it's oh. mocking me. I don't know why it does that, but you know, every once in a while, the neighbor's dog, deer, <laughs> soccer balls things, you know, so I prefer non-breakable covers for obvious reasons. Um, But you can make them from simple lumber as well and just have to screw them into a box. You know, if you're handy, you can make those boxes with an angle to capture maximum sunlight. But if you're not handy, even just a straight box with just like totally flat on top with a clear top is still going to help you extend the season and enjoy a year round harvest.
0: Okay. So I have done where I have done tested like different Cold frames where I have just done them myself, like kind of slapped them together, like exactly like you said, like used used straw bales um, and used old windows, but I didn't really have them sealed up like I just had them resting on it. And so Mm -hmm. I took out my little infrared thermometer. I love that thing. Oh my goodness. It's one of my favorite tools. So much fun. It's so much fun. And so I'm like, how much does this actually give me protection wise? And so I went out like in the, you know, the early morning, like it was daylight before, but before the sun was up. So that's usually Mm -hmm. our coldest part. You know, the ground is at its coldest point by then it's went all night. And I found that the maximum amount of protection. Now, again, this could have been because of my construction skills. I just said, I did these, not my husband. Um, I found that i got about at that point the coldest part of the morning it was about a five degree war, five degrees warmer fahrenheit five degrees uh when i, I was doing it in fahrenheit I thought that matters as far as five degrees difference but it was about a five degrees warmer inside the cold frame at the coldest part of the morning when it was like in the 20s you know 20 degrees fahrenheit and i would have about mm-hmm. five degrees buffer now of course when daylight hits And especially if there's some direct sunlight and it's not cloud cover, it would warm up significantly, it would offer a lot, it would get a lot warmer in there. Um, But have you done like temperatures like that? And have you found certain structures? Obviously, I'm sure that the tighter you have it more sealed up, of course, it's going to stay warmer. But have you kind of found a general range that seems to be fairly true? Yeah, I mean, I'm a little bit of a nerd that way. I and mean, I love checking because. the structures and, and seeing what's happening. Um, for,
1: you know, and, and the structures do, uh, they also create a microclimate around your plants, a cold frame, because it blocks the winter winds, which are very stressful on plants because it dries out the leaves so quickly. So, you know, it's not just about capturing, you know, sunlight and all that and increasing the temperature. It's also about blocking those cold winter winds um, which again can rob the plants of uh, you know of of heat so quickly and 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 moisture so yeah i I have lexan cold frames made from completely from polycarbonate sides tops the whole shebang Uh, and then i have the ones made from hemlock two inch thick boards and then i make the straw bale cold frames every once in a while you know if i have a lot of straw bales and and more plants to protect um and and the straw bale ones for me have been very insulating because the straw bales are so thick and i do have a, a polycarbonate kind of top that i lay right on top up. It's pretty well sealed to the straw. So I don't get a lot of leaking. And if I push the straw bales really closely together, um, I find that is the most insulating, you know, eight to 10 degrees of protection, really. Okay. For like the lumber ones with the hemlock, uh, about six to eight degrees. And then the polycarbonate ones, because they don't have any insulating sides, it's just clear plastic. They are the least insulating, of course. Um, But what I do for those for winter is that I will then hill up like leaves or mulch or soil um, or even evergreen boughs around the outside of the perimeter of those polycarbonate cold frames. And you can buy kits, which is really easy for someone who's not handy. And that kind of gives them a a very similar temperature, um, you know, properties to the straw bale cold frame because it's then insulated so well. So if you only have a polycarbonate cold frame and usually that's kind of a spring fall structure, you can make it a winter structure too by just hilling up some insulation around the outside and then harvesting all winter.
0: Okay, so with my straw bales, if I get a little bit better on tightening things up, <laughs> I, can increase, I can increase my temperature range. Okay, this will yes. be fun um, going in. This will be probably the first year where I ever go and buy a whole bunch of straw bales. It's normally not something I'm going to grab a lot of, <laughs> but I'm really, really looking forward to kind of upping that game. Um, now, how about, so here in the Pacific Northwest where I'm at, even in the winter mm-hmm. months, we are typically pretty wet, like the surrounding ground is so wet that I have not had to really do any watering actually at all uh, during my overwintering or anything like that. But for those who are in a climate where they're just getting a lot of snow and it's not perhaps melting, do you ever have to water or do you find that it's it's fine that you don't ever need to do any watering? Um, how, how does that work with your overwintering plan, especially for maybe more dry or cold climates?
1: yeah i mean i get asked that's probably one of the most popular questions i'm asked is how often do i water in the winter and honestly very little, if any. Um, traditionally, when I was doing this 15 years ago, 20 years ago, I never watered. You know, usually by the time I closed up my structures for winter, it would be late November, early December, and then everything would be cold until late March of the following year. And I didn't have to water um, because the, the plants weren't transpiring, so they weren't losing the water um, of, as well. Of course, these structures, you know, do hold um, moisture. So if there is some you know, warmer days and, and, and the plants transpire, the condensation kind of recycles back into. The soil and keeps things moist but you know with climate change now i, I usually end up watering into late december this is probably the last time i water uh in my cold frames and polytunnel and such and then the cold frames are usually pretty good um until they're empty which is usually sometime in late february um at that point we're pretty much out of the the stuff that we grew for winter harvesting and then i, I will you know clean up the soil amend it with more compost and start planting again at which point i do water um, so that's probably late February, early March and in the, in the polytunnel, you know, I, I probably start watering again, about the same time, late February, early March, I'm trying to think this year, it was a little bit earlier. Cause we had like a February crazy thaw where it got like, well, in, in, in Celsius, it was probably 15 degrees Celsius, so about 70 for like two days. And it was like so crazy. So wow. I actually went up, I took the opportunity to hook up my hose and water and then I unhooked it and drained it and put it away again. So it wouldn't freeze and crack. Um, but that's pretty, that's an anomaly. So generally I'm not watering in winter. I don't have to weed. I don't have to water the deer, the groundhogs, the squirrels, the slugs, they're not around or they can't get to the vegetables because they're protected. Um, so the winter to me is just the harvest season, planning, harvesting, and it's a nice quiet season when I know I still have so much in terms of food, flavors, and variety up in our garden.
0: Yeah. I'm with you. I don't have to deal with any pests with those winter crops. You know, yeah. there's no, even like on the You know, there's no cabbage moths that are out and about like it's so and the slugs. slugs are my one of our huge my huge nemesis oh. here i've really like i've already got my beer traps out trying to get them as soon as they hatch so they can't breathe like, yeah. yesterday yeah oh, i was did like you- ah, have you seen <sighs> the eggs? they look like crystal balls yeah they're, they're the worst for me too even in
1: hot summers we still have so many slugs and you probably do too just due to the fact you have a lot of moisture
0: Yes. Like we'll have a day, you know, like if it gets really hot, which is pretty rare that we actually even get into the high nineties. I mean, a little in August for like a week, maybe. And we think mm. we're dying because we don't have air conditioning here. <laughs> so if it it's, you know, if it's hitting the high nineties or, or uh, it's only been a couple of times we've actually got like 105 here. And usually it's only for two days. Hallelujah. But so during <laughs> the day, of course, during those hot temperatures like that, the slugs are gone, but yeah. And then that usually means that we have a really heavy dew, which is great. But that morning, you know, the, before the sun's up when that dew's out yet there still will be slugs out even in midsummer even if we're hitting like 100 degrees they Yes. They're, they're very, uh, they're the, worst. They're the worst, those little, little stinkers. Yes. Um, so, that's not what I usually call them, but we'll go with stinkers. Sure. Yeah. They've, I uh, I will confess there's probably been a cuss word or two that's come out when I, when I found them uh, decimating a complete plant, but anyhow, yeah. <laughs> yeah. that's a different podcast. That is a different podcast. Oh, slugs are my thing, mm. but that is one of the great things I have to say about that I've found with doing the overwintering and with the cold frames is very little work on my part. It's kind of like all the reward. And I'm also, because things are mainly in- hibernation kind of like stall Mm. mode. I there's no weeding, but I'm also not having to do any type of fertilizing. Uh, you know, like because during the the growing months here, I still will use like an Alaskan fish emulsion concentrate um, and do some watering, even though I, you know, put compost down in the spring and or winter, sometimes both, just depending on what bed it is and what I've been asking of it to grow. Uh, But it's really nice because I'm not doing any of that during during the winter months. And I'm assuming you're not either because if you're not watering, I doubt you're doing anything like that for them either.
1: No, and I, I'm like you, I love using like liquid fish emulsion I, because I'm on the coast as well. Uh, I use a lot of uh, like kelp, liquid kelp or kelp meal as well just to give my plants a nice boost of micronutrients and plant hormones. So during the growing season, yeah, I'm totally all over that. Uh, but in wintertime, literally there's no watering, there's no fertilizing and there's no pests, which is fantastic. It's, it almost feels like a vacation from the garden. I just go harvest, but um, you know, it, it's such an easy thing to do. I think that's something that many people realize. It's that, like they might be listening and saying, all right, well, that sounds like far too much work, but it doesn't have to be. You know, if you have a couple raised beds, or you know, you build a little cold frame, you can be harvesting all winter long with with minimal work uh, and minimal prep. It's just about thinking differently about your planting season. You know, I mentioned Memorial Day weekend is the big planting weekend, and that is also here too. It's Victoria Day weekend, and that's when many people put their put their gardens in for the season. But then you think about succession planting when those initial crops are done. Then you're going to plan for fall and winter. Um, you know, so there's a second planting season, but it doesn't have to be complicated. And to me, the payoff is just so worth it. Homegrown organic food in my backyard, you know, 365 days a year. It's amazing.
0: Yeah. And kind of like you mentioned, too, not only a lot of times I feel like people focus on the cold frames and the poly tunnels, like whatever it is Mm -hmm. you're choosing to use. This is just, you know, slightly different in the actual structure, but they all kind of serve the same purpose. Uh, But in the springtime, it does allow you to plant earlier because the soil has right. been warmed up. So even if it's direct sowing also with transplants, I actually will put my tomato and pepper plants out in my high tunnel. And I will, And I'm curious if you do this, I will do double. So I'll actually use a small row cover that's made out of poly plastic. So it's really mm-hmm. holding it in. And so if I know that we're going to get like a sneaky late frost coming in or it's a clear night, clear nights for us mean colder temps. So if it's, if all of a sudden clears off, then I'll go out and I'll shut all the the walls and the doors that I have on our high tunnel, but then I'll pop a little tiny poly tunnel because they're small starts at this point over top of it and do like a double insulation. And that lets me usually put the tomatoes and peppers outside um, at the last frost date, which I typically without any type of that would not put them out about four weeks early, basically. Mm Absolutely. You know,
1: I, I think, I think we're doing the exact same thing, honestly. In our okay. <laughs> you know, I, I do double up. Sometimes I'll use a little cloche um, like a little plastic cover or a jar, um, but usually it's just the fleece, just like you, you know, and, and I, I plant about a month earlier as well. Right now my polytunnel is filled with uh, cabbage seedlings that I planted about three weeks ago that are just starting to come on now and and lettuces, different Salanova and leaf lettuces and spinach and and all these new things I planted about a month ago. That we'll start harvesting soon and then when those are finished um i'm going to put out like you say peppers and tomatoes all those heat lovers about a, you know a month before that last frost date which is probably going to be late may for me really it, it changes from year to year but um yeah so you can absolutely double up your covers in a polytunnel or even in a cold frame um you use fleece you can float it on little metal hoops wire hoops you know nine gauge wire or you can lay it directly on top of the crops but when you have those clear nights in the spring you, you know it's all, you're often doing that sort of I call it the spring shuffle when you've got little babies in the garden. Cause you know, like the day you plant and I'm sure this is the same because this is what happens in my garden um, with you. The day I plant my tomatoes and peppers, there's going to be a frost. It's a hundred percent guarantee. <laughs> so that is where these garden covers come in so handy. And that's where the fleece, you know, the row covers, the mini hoop tunnels, all these things can be used to protect your plants. And if you have a greenhouse or a cold frame or a, a mini hoop tunnel or a larger tunnel, you can use fleece inside as an extra cover on those nights when there is frost. That's just garden insurance, just to make sure everything comes through that frosty night just fine.
0: Yeah. And then it also will be because those hard frosts or frosts that are coming in are on clear nights. Then usually the next morning, it's I have to get out there once the sun is up, though, because I don't <laughs> want them to cook and have too much of a temperature change. And so it's definitely, yes, it's definitely a shuffle. It's like morning and evening. I, you know, I'm always having to go out there during that time. Um, and then yeah. with the, the cold frames, so I'm assuming that yours, like, you can just take the tops off or do you completely, like for the, when you're doing the, like, hemlock frame, for example, mm. um, do you just leave those sides up and you just remove the top during the summer months or do you completely remove that? Oh,
1: no, <laughs> I leave them in place. Um, okay. I mean, they're, they're, they're pretty sturdy. They're 18 inches in the back, 12 inches in the front, my hemlock frames. Um, So they've got a nice deep angle for capturing maximum solar energy Uh, and they're actually sunk into the soil um, about nine, 10 inches. So just for extra insulation as well. So once they're in, they're there for about 10 years. I do uh, take the tops off because they're on hinges and they're easy to store during the summer. And then once all of the crops are finished in mid-spring from the cold frames, um, basically I will plant a cover crop in that soil just to enrich it and then dig it under. And I might even do that two or three times, something like buckwheat, which is quick to grow and just so great for uh, feeding the soil. And then come, you know, late July, I will, if I have a cold frame that I want for carrots, for example, I will start seeding those carrots. If I'm growing lettuces and arugulas and spinaches and scallions, they'll get seeded more in late August, early September. But for something like carrots that can take, you know, 60, 80 days, depending on the variety, those are getting seeded in midsummer.
0: Okay, awesome. So you just take, <clears throat> for those more permanent structures, you're just taking the lid yeah. off instead of trying to do the labor. Okay. That, <laughs> and that would make sense. That would be much, much easier. And I'm all about, I'm all oh. about making it as easy as possible in the <laughs> garden on myself. Um, okay. <laughs> so I was just kind of curious though, how that, how you were handling that. So I'm glad to to hear that it would yeah. be similar to, to what I would pick as well. <laughs>
1: Um, And my polycarbonate,
0: the polycarbonate
1: cold frames I use, and I have a couple different models because I like to test things. If these are available for gardeners in the marketplace, well, I want to know how well they work because people ask me for recommendations and I can't recommend something I don't use or haven't used myself. So I've got a couple models and those, I kind of consider them portable. So if I'm not using them in the summer, I will just, you know, put them behind my shed. Uh, until it's time to use them again so those do get removed from the garden completely but the wooden structures are permanent uh, and they're left there until they start to rot and after about a decade
0: okay which is pretty good for hemlock here i think we are probably wetter than you guys are and i don't think i could get any wooden structure to last that long Mm. so it, but the hemlock I'm, is it's similar
1: to cedar it's packed with oils and it's it, i find it also um reduces the slugs they don't like to climb on it because of those oils and like a hemlock board is super heavy again it's so dense and all, all those oils in it um so I, I find it does last much much longer than like pine or spruce wood for example
0: yeah i would typically hear of used cedar you know i would have to oh, yeah. look and see if you guys have a different species of hemlock we do <laughs> you must because i'm like our yeah. hemlock here is like junk like seriously it's like good for nothing oh, um that's too bad. and so yeah. i'm when you're saying hemlock i'm like i wonder if they have a different variety because that is like complete opposite of what <laughs> of what our wood is here but cedar is, is kind of our go-to you know it is is the go-to yeah. for our local wood sources i should say and stuff um Cedar's because, great but it's very
1: expensive here which is why i use our local hemlock which is very similar in its rot resistance and longevity but it's far, okay. far cheaper than cedar.
0: Good to know. Okay. So if you're on the East Coast and have varieties like Nikki, look at Hemlock. If you're on the yes, but if you're on the West Coast <laughs> and Pacific Northwest area, our hemlock here is not going to be ideal. I think you will be sorely disappointed if you try to use it. But if someone has had a different experience, please do let me know. I would love to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so speaking of because I'm kind of the same way, like especially if I'm moving into something that I haven't done before, I don't have a ton of experience, mm-hmm. I want to know. Like, what have you tested and what are some of these best resources if I'm going to go and, you know, buy more of a do-it-yourself kit or even like your resources that you happen to like, as long as it's not like a, a local store that doesn't ship or something, um, for getting some of, of the materials that you're using, uh, you know, like, do you have a, a favorite like um, pop-up poly tunnel, or, you know, different, because I've tried with doing uh, like row covers and poly tunnels. Like I've tried a lot of do it yourself ones where I'm putting like yeah. stakes in the ground and doing different things like that. And for me, I actually have like an accordion. I have accordion ones that I just bought on, from Amazon, quite honestly. And for me, those have lasted and actually held up better through like wind and rain. I, we don't get hurricanes here and I probably don't get the snow. Like if we get a couple feet of snow, it's usually gone within three to four days. So mine aren't, aren't having to go through, you know, feet upon feet of snow for prolonged periods of time as far as weight Mm. um but if you have any like oh these are the ones that i feel is like the absolute best or this is like my favorite place to go to to get supplies um i would love to to have those for listeners
1: yeah i mean i my my, polytunnel itself like for example if you're looking at structures especially a larger structure because there's a lot of inexpensive like you mentioned pop-up type structures you can buy I would first think about where you live in your climate and how you want to use it. If you just want to extend your season or grow summer vegetables, like a bumper crop of tomatoes and peppers in a northern area using one of these structures, well, something, you know, um, maybe that's not quite so strong is fine, like a pop-up, uh, uh, you know, type of polytunnel. But if you want a winter harvest like I do and, and you want something that's going to last a long time, you're probably going to have to buy it, like a, a very high quality sort of either greenhouse uh, or polytunnel. So mine came from a local um, greenhouse supplier, my polytunnel, and it was designed by um, a gentleman I knew who just retired, but he's like this greenhouse expert and has been for 40 years. So I knew he designed the structure. So that's why I bought it. But I use so many other types of materials like the cold frames. Um, you know, I have ones from Gardener Supply. Johnny Seeds is where I get a lot of my uh, row covers and, and plastics for the greenhouse. And I also got my um, a metal bender from them as well. So I can bend um, half inch, uh, conduit metal conduit pieces, oh. the 10 foot long ones. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's a game okay. changer because oh they're so strong. Right. Yeah. Um, I use PVC for hoops as well in like my garden beds. Um, but the half inch PVC isn't as obviously strong as metal. So I have a metal bender that's fantastic. Um, you know, and, and you know, mini hoop tunnels, I have a accordion one as well, which is great, but it doesn't stand up to snow load. So for me, that's more of a, you know, spring, fall, early winter structure. Um, so I make most of my own mini tunnels, but, uh, you know, again, Gardner Supply, I have one from them as well that's made with little PVC pipes you pop together, takes about 10 or 15 minutes, and then it's got two or three covers you can switch out depending on the season and the application for it. And, you know, 10 or 15 or 20 years ago, when I was started, you know, doing all these different types of structures, you couldn't buy them, <laughs> you know, you couldn't find cold frame kits or mini hoop tunnels. But now so many different um, companies are selling them, which is fantastic. So again, before
0: you buy, think about your goals and then buy something that's going to help you meet those goals. Okay, I love that. And I actually have a question for you, kind of going back to protection and temperatures and all that kind of fun stuff. Yeah. You found for maximum, when you were just talking about like a row cover or a tunnel, Mm -hmm. have you found that the fleece fabric versus the actual greenhouse poly Which one do you feel actually gives the maximum or are they equal of frost protection?
1: Well, I mean, it's hard to exactly answer that question because as you know, there's different types of fleece. There's lightweight, there's medium weight, there's heavyweight. Um, But for example, I wouldn't use heavyweight fleece in my spring garden to protect tomatoes because it blocks too much light. Um, Unless you were just putting it on in the nighttime with a a risk of frost and taking it off in the daytime. If you're thinking of winter harvesting, um, then I'm using a six mil greenhouse poly. And you know, I wanna use basically as little plastic in my life and my garden as possible. So when I invest in a plastic material for my garden, I wanna buy something that's gonna last for a super long time. And then I can recycle it when, once I'm done with it, once it starts to fall apart or rip and things like that. So uh, Greenhouse uh, Poly, I, again, I buy the six mil. It's a four year uh, Greenhouse Poly that lasts about six years for me with my you know relatively mm-hmm. gentle use. Yeah. Um, it's UV treated, it's UV stabilized, so it doesn't break down. I mean, a lot of people ask me about using things like, um, you know if you're painting your host lately, you might find you can get like the plastic tarps for inside the drop cloths. Well, those are like one and a half mil thick usually and they last for like, like a week or two in your garden before the UV breaks yeah. it down. So I would rather use the greenhouse poly. It costs a little more, but it lasts so much longer and, and it, it is more insulating. So if I'm comparing six mil greenhouse poly um, you know, and an average row cover, which would be lightweight, which is probably what people would buy from their local garden supply stores. The mm-hmm. poly is going to give you better insulation by a couple degrees for sure and better okay. insulation against frost. Now for winter harvesting, I will often use uh, like a, a, a row cover and then cover that as well on top of the tunnel with the plastic for a double cover all winter long. And that's very insulating, I find, for well most types of vegetables that I, I harvest from my raised beds during the winter. But just for spring, for light frost protection, you can use a fleece. If you're trying to, you know, plant things like cabbage and broccoli, scallions, arugulas, things like that, you know, six weeks early in the season, then I would use clear plastic, like a greenhouse plastic in your garden. And that'll, I think, give you the best results.
0: Okay. Awesome. That makes it, that makes a lot of sense. And that's so funny. So I'm on, so I bought the 6ml greenhouse plastic and we is just an old, my high tunnel is an old like carport that you, Buy like from Costco. It was a steel (laughs) frame. But, um, and so we just bought like the fasteners and I'm like, well, it's pitched. I can actually walk in this, you know, it's 10 by 20. Mm -hmm. And I'm going on year eight. So (laughs) I know that I'm probably going to start to have some breakdown pretty soon. I think part of it might be, um, we don't get a lot of, I mean, we'll get daylight, but we don't get a lot of sunlight. So maybe that's helping me extend the life. But I love that you gave the, you know, if you buy, yes, it is more expensive, but, not in the long run, because it's going to last yes. so much longer. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, and one of the things I did, um, like, you know, I have a greenhouse supply store near me where they sell rolls of greenhouse plastic to the garden centers and spend the nurseries all around. So I will go in there sometimes and they have rolls that have been damaged in shipping and you know, they're half priced then. So I can get a roll of like 30 by 150, you know, for half price, you know, maybe a hundred dollars or something. And that's going to last me about 10 years because I'll cut it in the strips I need for my mini tunnels, which, you know, usually is probably like, um, you know, depending on the mini tunnel, you know, 10 by 14 or 10 by 15. Um, And and again, I I can get so many tunnels out of that. Each piece of that is probably going to last me, you know, six years, seven years with late use. Um, So it lasts a very long time. It's great if you have like a community garden or you're part of an urban garden or a school garden, you know, buying a roll and then splitting it up amongst everybody. It's just a great way to save money and make sure everybody has a high
0: quality product for season extension. Oh, that's fantastic. You know, we do have a school garden. I'm going to get a hold of them and see if they want to go in. <laughs> Sweet. And then that's the thing for those metal
1: vendors. If you're going to make metal hoops, you know, you buy one from like a place like Johnny's and you can make so many metal hoops. It takes one minute to get these beautiful four foot wide metal hoops. And if you had, a, again, an mm. urban garden or, or, you know, community garden, if you had one for everybody, you know, who, who, who kind of you know, rented the spaces, they could all use it to make their own hoops. And it just, it gets a lot of use and then it's really worth the investment.
0: Okay. I love that tip. Now, we bought where I screwed them in because it was a steel frame and it was like pitched roof straight up and down, not curved when we made our high tunnel. So Mm -hmm. for when you're bending the steel ones yourself, um, how are you fastening the plastic to that? Do you have like a favorite, favorite fastener that you found works just the best? Oh, my gosh. I've spent years looking for the best (laughs) fastener. And I I mean, I'd ask the craziest questions when I'm going to different places, like, you
1: know, about like clips and different things. I mean, I've used everything. So I used to make my own for holding the plastic on my mini tunnels. Mm -hmm. Um, I would just make little seat clips. But now, you know, again, Amazon has um, snap clamps. So you can buy snap clamps in different sizes and it's super cheap. You can buy packs of 10 or 12. And I've stopped making my own because buying them is just so much easier and quicker. And it's super inexpensive, as I said. So I just buy snap clamps from Amazon.
0: Okay, awesome. And guys, if you're listening to this, because I know oftentimes I listen to podcasts, I'm a podcast junkie, but I listen to podcasts (laughs) when I'm gardening, when I'm doing the dishes, when I'm out for a run, like things where my hands are busy and I can't like actually stop and scroll or write something down and I'm like, oh man, what was it they just talked about? So we will have in the blog post that accompanies this episode. Always detailed out, and I will have links. And Nikki has sent photos, so don't worry, you'll be able to go and access that later. And it's all for you in one spot because I know at this point, if I was listening to this podcast myself, I'd be like, Okay, where do I go and see all of these things that you guys are actually talking about that I want to go get? (laughs) That's so helpful. That's awesome. Yeah. Okay. So For using the cold frame, you know, doing different cold frame gardening and extending that gardening season really almost all year, because as we talked, we're using it in the spring, we're using it in the fall, and we're using it in the winter. Um, Now, I don't have this problem, but for any listeners who are still hanging out with us who are like, well, I have the opposite problem of you guys. I live in a very hot climate, Mm -hmm. and so I need to provide shade, and I actually need to cool my plants down. Can you just use like shade cloth and pretty much just reverse what we're talking mm-hmm. about, except you would create shade structures to help cool the earth down or to provide shade so that you could maybe grow some cool weather crops during what would typically be too hot in the summer months? And I don't know if you've, you may probably, I have not personally experimented with this, but I'm curious if you had, or if you've had reports because people know you do this so much. Have any, has anybody um, kind of just done this in the reserve reverse and had success? Do you know? Yeah, absolutely. I actually um, use shade cloth
1: to make mini hoop tunnels all the time in summer, even here in my Zone 5B garden on the East Coast of Canada. Uh, And and this is a whole section growing undercover, my new book, because shade cloth, I think, is one of the most uh, undervalued garden covers out there. So when I mention that I'm sowing carrot seeds in late July, early August for my winter harvesting, I mean, in July, let's be honest, the soil is dry and the weather is hot. And I don't want to be watering my newly planted carrot seed beds or in a cold frame. You know twice a day i just don't want to so i will often make a mini hoop tunnel with all the little hoops we talked about either metal or pvc or wire above that new seed bed and then i'll hang a piece of shade cloth and that just helps reduce the ambient temperature underneath it helps keeps the soil moist so i i don't have to water hardly at all like every maybe three or four days i'll get out there and sprinkle the soil and then once the carrots germinate and start to grow i'll remove that shade cloth but that's just a simple way um to start so many types of seeds in mid to late summer if the weather is still hot and dry. Um, but I also use shade cloth in late spring because things like spinach and arugula, um, you know, kale, lettuces, they bolt, as I know you've you, you probably yes. experienced. Yes. They switch from vegetative growth to flowering, which may be pretty for the pollinators and great if you want to collect seeds, um, but it changes the flavor of those crops. They become more bitter and less palatable. And you're getting a shorter harvesting window so i will use shade cloth over top those vegetables um you know usually mid you know mid to late spring i'll start to put a little bit of shade cloth when they're you know approaching the size that i want to harvest them it'll Mm -hmm. slow down the growth a bit but it also prevents bolting for about three weeks or so so Uh i can enjoy a much longer harvest of those crops that don't love the switch of the spring weather when it goes you know from pretty warm to hot which can happen with like like a flick of a switch here in nova scotia so Shade cloth, I use it for preventing and delaying bolting. And I use it to establish midsummer crops as well.
0: Okay, I'm so excited because I was not going to do a spring planting of daikon radish because we'll get like one freak (laughs) week where it's hot. And daikon for me bolts like, it bolts faster and worse than spinach. I don't know if I was. And uh, so like as yours, I'm like, (gasps) I can still do daikon. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, when
1: I do spring daikon, I still don't expect to get those, you know, huge roots. Um, but you know, it, they do better for me in fall, but I will get a crop of baby roots and those delicious leaves when I plant yeah. them in spring using a yeah. uh, shade cloth. It's
0: amazing. Okay. I'll try it. Cause I wasn't <laughs> even going to do them this spring. I'm like, this is just pointless. I'll just wait and do them as a fall crop, but mm. I'm kind of excited now. I actually have to get shade cloth. So funny. I have all like fleece and, and the six ML poly. I don't actually yes. have any shade cloth material. <laughs> so that's something I would have to get be- and get the watering part for getting the things to germinate because i'm like you i'm planting really like the the carrots um even the cauliflower if i'm going to direct so i kind of need to do at the end of july and yeah, it's that battle of I'm watering. I swear, like it feels like three times a day in order to keep the seed bed really, really moist. So, okay. I'm actually quite excited about, about that. Who would have thought that would have, now I'm like jazzed. <laughs> I'm just maybe you sound maybe like that. excited about shade cloth, you know, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so exciting, but I totally get it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wait, great. Okay. So that, those are phenomenal tips. And You do have, yes, um, please tell everybody about your new book so that if you're wanting to use these types of implements, Nikki has a book that goes into much greater depth than obviously we could just do in a singular podcast episode. And also if there's any, you know, like uh, one last like big takeaway or thing um, that you just want people to know about growing undercover that we didn't quite cover yet, um, your book and then also where if they're not, that they can follow along with your gardening journey and see all the things in season and and as you're doing them as well as the really cool photos I'm giving it away of you you know out in feet of snow harvesting all of these fresh vegetables
1: yeah I, I just think that we um you know there's so many people gardening now and there's so many gardeners that are very skilled you know they're extending their season they're doing all these different things they're growing different types of global crops um so I would say if you're even new to vegetable gardening this is something anybody can do and you don't need all the types of covers especially if you're new to gardening start small maybe with a row cover you know you mentioned a few times they're so handy in the garden for spring for fall you can even use those in summer to create some shade as well um, if you're seeding in summer for late season harvesting so i would start with a row cover so start small and just you know if, if you you know have been gardening for a couple years maybe you want to start with a cold frame um, and, and then you'll, you'll come up with a little you know garden cover essential kit for yourself and it'll really help you just grow more food reduce pest problems because I use covers as well to keep the deer, the groundhogs, the squirrels, the chipmunks, and all those other types of pests out of my vegetables. Um, so again, they're garden insurance for me. So if you've had issues with your garden in the past, whether it's cabbage worms or potato beetles or deer, you can use different types of garden covers to prevent that. And of course, in Growing Undercover, I delve into that very deeply. Um, in terms of finding me, I am on Instagram, of course, uh, where I post uh, far too often. Uh, lots of tips and pictures <laughs> from my garden, as well as Facebook and Twitter. And my website is SavvyGardening.com. And we have over a million and a half
0: visitors a month who join us there to, uh, to get our gardening tips. <laughs> Oh, awesome. Well, guys, of course, in the show notes, we'll have links to all of these resources too. And on Instagram, um, is it at Savvy Gardener or is it your actually your name? Which handle is? Yeah, well, my
1: handle Nikki Jabour is where I post daily. And I also do maintain the Savvy Gardening one too. So Nikki or Savvy Gardening, you can find me at both of those on Instagram as well as on Facebook and Twitter.
0: Okay, awesome. Well, Nikki, thank you so much. I have a feeling this is just going to be the first of many visits that we have. So thank (laughs) you so much for coming on and sharing all of this with the listeners. Really appreciate it.
1: Thank you, Melissa. It has been an absolute pleasure to
0: finally chat with you after
1: being a fan for so long. So thank you again. And you have a great growing season.
0: Yes, you too. And everybody else will now as well from listening to your fabulous tips. So thank you. (laughs) Thanks. Was that not an amazing episode? I hope that you guys enjoyed that one as much as i did gleaned so much good information there and i'm very excited to be trying out even more of the techniques that nikki has shared with us to increase our own fresh food production year round and even though i always like to push the boundaries and grow as much fresh food as possible throughout the months of the year i know that preserving our food from some of the spring summer and even the fall harvest is also really important and the only way we'll be able to enjoy specific crops all year round is by doing food preservation methods because you could only push the envelope so far even using row covers it's not going to enable me to be able to grow my summer crops into the winter months so i am going to be doing a free class on helping you develop your preserving plan as well as going over different types of food preservation I would love to have you join me for that class. It is going to be held on June 9th, but you can snag and reserve your seat now. You can go to the blog post that accompanies this episode, or you can go to melissaknorris.com harvest plan. melissaknorris.com forward slash harvest plan. And that will take you to the page to register for this upcoming free class i can't wait to see you there and i can't wait to be back here with you next week on our brand new episode blessings and mason jars for now my friends